If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Hey there, you're listening to Green Dreamer, which is a community-supported independent podcast. By now, we have an extensive archive of over 240 in-depth episodes, which did take a lot of work to keep up and produce for the past years. So if you've learned anything or have been inspired by our show, I am kindly asking for your direct support today, if you can, so that I can keep this show going and accessible to everyone. To join us on Patreon, where we're starting to share some bonus content, author book giveaways and so on you can head to greendreamer.com slash support so it is with the clothing that we wear and the fashion industry the very roots of it are in colonialism and are in slavery and we have to recognize those very roots if we're even going to begin to address the modern ramifications of those roots That was Maxine Beda, the founder and director of the New Standard Institute, which is an information platform that seeks to bring together and accelerate existing sustainability efforts in the fashion industry and ensure that strong science and data drives change in the sector. There's so much greenwashing going on, which makes Maxine's work really, really vital. So yes, we're going to talk about how the NSI is going about setting a new standard for the industry, especially when words such as sustainable and eco-friendly are thrown around so much but aren't standardized in any way and often used as a greenwashing tool. Why recycled microplastic fibers used in our so-called eco-athletic wear or swimwear might not be as eco-friendly as it's made out to seem, and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. The root of getting into sustainable fashion actually started with issues of social justice. And it was in elementary school, actually, before social justice or, you know, the word environmentalism even entered my head or notions thereof. 
I happened to have my childhood best friend was African-American and my family comes from South Africa. So we are of Jewish origin, but uh, white people living in South Africa. And I just remember that I would, when I would go to South Africa and ask my parents, well, couldn't my friend come along with me? And thinking about the things that she wouldn't be able to do or the things that I saw that would make her feel so uncomfortable, that I think if I kind of look back to what got me down the path that I'm on now that I return to, just how uncomfortable instinctually that made me and would make anybody. And I think, you know, that that is what what led me down a path then to work at the UN and then ultimately to turn to the fashion space where I saw that a lot of the work that was being done at the UN um, in terms of the what began as the millennial development goals and then turned into the sustainable development goals could be addressed through fashion. So that was kind of the the impetus for me internally and then kind of how it played out getting to now the new standard institute where I saw fashion as an as an avenue to address a lot of the injustices in the world and then through to from Zadie which is the fashion company turning to the new standard institute which is really examining not just from a one brand perspective but from from across the industry what information do we need and and what accountability do we need to have for a more just society We've had various guests on the show before share with us why our fashion industry today has been so wasteful, exploitative, and polluting. And this is something that every person who wears clothes really plays a part in, much like food, which is why this conversation is not just for listeners who consider themselves as fashionistas. Can you give us an overview of the latest findings we should know regarding the industry's social and environmental impact? Yes. So the impact is runs across many levels. There is the environmental impact in terms of the carbon footprint. And what's challenging in this space is that uh, we don't actually have enough data and enough reliable data. But one report has found that the carbon footprint of the fashion industry amounts to 8.1% of total greenhouse gas output, that is enormous and is not something that we consider. I think the industry is often dismissed as something that is superficial or girly or something, you know, not not serious. And it it takes an enormous amount of resources environmentally and socially to create a garment from either the farm or the oil rig where it begins through to the actual fiber and fabric creation, which it is not, you know, in this very digital world in which we live, we have removed ourselves from the resources that it takes to create things, be that environmental or, or uh, labor, but it is not magic how oil or how a cotton plant uh, magically turns into a t-shirt and jeans. It is through a a lot of chemicals, a lot of heat, 
And that heat is usually connected to energy grids that run on coal-based energy. So uh, very greenhouse gas intensive energy sources. And then along the way, using the chemicals and, and mismanaging the chemicals so they go back into the environment, impacting the ability, impacting the local environment, I should say of the community that uses those waters for food, for cleaning, for living. And then there is the labor component as well, which is that we have, again, completely separated ourselves from the means of production. So we don't see the intense conditions under which our clothing is produced. And then I would certainly add fashion, the fashion industry in particular has ignored issues of of racial justice, both in the means of production and in how our fashion companies and our organizations are made up and and what they communicate. So Mm -hmm. there's fashion, you know, tells a story and we, we ignore it. We ignore what fashion says. We, we, we tend to want to situate ourselves in in data and numbers and in logic and and kind of suggest that that is the only way in which we're making can make a statement and certainly as somebody who's trained in law that's kind of my natural place to go but how we dress in what we dress communicates so much about almost everything about us and even if we pretend you know environmentalists like to pretend that they don't care about fashion but yet they are often wearing, you know, Patagonia. So they are making a statement in what they are choosing and not choosing to engage in. And I think it's so important for us all to see the power that our clothing has in terms of what it communicates to the outside world and the impact that it has organizationally and within the very long supply chain as well. Right. As you just mentioned, the wide range of social and ecological issues from the fashion industry are are so diverse that I feel like we can come up with any environmental issue or any social issue and be able to find a cross section between that and the fashion industry. So at the moment, we're at a time right now when the Black Lives Matter movement has regained national and global awareness, sparked by the police brutality and murder of Mr. George Floyd, but really fueled by various other incidents as well as our institutionalized racism. And of course, the roots of that hurt of our fellow Black citizens still experienced today go way back to the generational trauma that came from colonialism and slavery. When we keep that context in mind here, what are some ways in which the history of colonialism and slavery are reflected in our modern fashion industry today? Yeah, I mean, I think first it's to see the historical roots very much of the fashion industry um, with slavery and with colonialism. If you look at the cotton industry itself, I mean, that is in any textbook on slavery, you will talk about the cotton industry, which is the material of clothing that was worn at the time. There's an excellent book on this, Empire of Cotton, which really dives into how the cotton industry itself, so how clothing itself was a driver for both imperialistic moves and a driver for slavery. 
So it is with the clothing that we wear and the fashion industry, the very roots of it are in colonialism and are in slavery. And we have to recognize those very roots if we're even going to begin to address the modern ramifications of those roots. And and I also just need to say that it's not, it is certainly not just historical roots, but it is now looking at the industry today and seeing we we had you know institutionalized racism and how that has managed to continue today and and I think what is so powerful about this moment that we are living in is to see even for certainly for myself that you have to be anti-racist. And I think the fashion industry needs to come to grips with that and look at who's in leadership positions, not just who's in leadership positions, but what are the voices that are being heard from the, the very bottom to the very top of the industry? And, you know, if you look now at the executive teams or even, you know, in the entry level positions, it's not a just picture. and that is something that we definitely need to address if we are going to live in a just society. So racial justice, of course, is an integral part of the systemic injustice that we have today, that in other forms, though interconnected, also includes economic and worker injustice. I'm aware Mm -hmm. that the labor movement in the United States actually originated in the struggles of the garment workers here. So what did that Mm -hmm. look like? And why is it important for us to reflect on and know this piece of our history, especially during this time? Yes. So I think it's, again, elevating what fashion and the fashion industry means and the the role it has played and continues to play in society. So the fashion industry was instrumental in creating the basic labor protections that we have today. And it was not just the fashion industry. It was women garment workers who came together across ethnic and racial lines to fight for a a better system, to fight for a system that was going to keep them safe, to fight for a system that would allow for overtime pay, to fight for a system that allowed for weekends. Some of these basic conceptions that we have over our labor were very much grounded in the work of women garment workers. And then I think an important part to realize of this history, it was those garment workers working together and the white allies, they were called the the Mink Brigade, um, which were very well-connected white women in New York who elevated the voices of these women garment workers so that change could happen. So it was, you can see this playing out today. What does it mean to be an ally to the space? It is elevating those voices of the the people that have been in the trenches doing the work and, and being an ally in support of that work. And that, I think, to, to, to show how, to me, I get inspired by the work of the women coming together across all of those lines made a difference. And we can see that these struggles end up in, in real tangible differences. And I think that is an important lesson that the fashion industry can learn from its own history. As 
people are becoming more and more aware of our need to work towards sustainability. A lot of brands now are popping up saying they're green, or a lot of existing brands are coming out with products or collections that they label as being sustainably made. Are any of these labels standardized in any way? And with your expertise and experience, how often do you think greenwashing actually happens? This is a a huge issue.、Um, this issue of greenwashing, and I can be more generous and just say it's misguided. <laughs> But there is not a single standard of sustainability, and there is a lot when you look under the hood at what. A lot of brands are doing. It's a lot more marketing and not addressing these fundamental issues of carbon, of chemical, of of wages, of working conditions. And I think that you know, even going back to the protests that are happening now, we need to push for accountability for these brands that this is not just. A marketing gimmick, and I've seen I've seen presentations, you know, marketing presentations from brands of these are the trends of the future, and it's animal print and customizable clothing and sustainability. That that is not the right approach. That this is not a trend. It is not a trend. Sustainability is not a trend to create another product for. It is addressing real systemic issues within the industry and across the supply chain,、um, and. A lot of what is out there is noise, unfortunately, and I think that we can learn from the work that is happening now to move from a brand place of being superficial in claims to pushing for accountability for brands to address these fundamental issues. Mm. And this might be an unpopular opinion, but I personally take issue with brands saying that their products are sustainably made or brands calling themselves、mm-hmm. sustainable because sustainability entails so much. And to me, sustainability is kind of the end goal. So when they say that their products are sustainably made, to a lot of people, they go like, "Okay, so we need to live more sustainably. So this product is sustainably made.、Mm-hmm. So this is it." Like. Like、yep. I just need to buy this stuff, and I'm good. Like I've done my part in supporting this movement. So that's where I personally take issue. I feel like there's so much that needs to be worked on that when you just label it as sustainable, then it's like I've done it. You know, I I completely agree, and I think what the what the industry needs to move away from is that word sustainable, which has become to mean everything and nothing. Right, and it and we need to move away, and this is you know very much. NSI is grounded in in this work away from a a binary definition of sustainable versus not sustainable、mm-hmm. to a conversation around impact and meaningful impact. What is a brand doing to reduce their negative impact and and how are they quantifying that reduction? How are they being transparent about the process and path that they are on? And that the the work of NSI is really to dig into what are those policies? What do we need to see from brands in terms of their carbon footprint? In terms of the wages that they their the workers in their supply chain are being paid? In terms of the chemical management, what can they demonstrate to customers, to citizens that they are meaningfully reducing their 
environmental impact and having a more positive social contribution. And I think that we we fundamentally need to get into what are those, you know, we say key performance indicators. What do the companies need to demonstrate to show that they are on the right path? And it is not what we are seeing right now. It is not a sustainable, quote, sustainable collection. Uh, that's we're, we're not growing trees here. Clothing will always have an impact, right? Clothing will always have an environmental and social impact. And so it is what can a company, the only thing a company can do is show what they are doing um, and the speed in which they are achieving meaningful reductions. Right. And I also think, you know, just following up on what you, what you are saying is that the idea of even having a su- sustainable fashion kind of, you know, as you suggested, turns it away from, oh, if you just buy this thing, then you're sustainable. And that moves away from the whole idea that the most, from an environmental perspective, the most sustainable thing is to not buy the product at all. And and I think um, that is a really important conversation we need to be having. And when you can label clothing sustainable, it avoids that very necessary conversation. Right. Like sustainability, the term actually means something that is really important, but when it's overused, it sort of becomes trite. And we're talking about fashion here, but this really applies to every industry across the board. And personally, I much prefer when brands say that we're we're conscious about the choices that we make, we're, you know, striving to do better or we're learning and things like that, rather than saying we're we're sustainable. And as you just touched on, as part of your work at the NSI, you say that brands, influencers, and advocacy organizations are looking to make the industry more, quote unquote, sustainable. But in order to do that, we need data. It might sound really technical to some people, but if we want to improve something, we do need to know the baseline of where things are at currently to know what progress should and could look like. So what are typically the areas where we already have solid data on, so concrete goals have already been made or they can be made easily? And to the contrary, what are some other areas where there's really been a lack of transparency and research? Unfortunately, the answer right now is there's a just a lot of missing information. So if we begin with the farm, there is still a lot of, you know, we equate organic, the organic label to a sustainable And there is still meaningful research that needs to be done to even understand from an agricultural perspective what it means to be sustainable. And there is data demonstrating that on some key aspects, the way the organic certification is created at the moment and plays out at the moment um, is not necessarily the most sustainable. So we need more research into our farming practices. We need more research into um, when we compare the different materials from cotton to polyester to recycled polyester uh, to tensile, better and clearer data on which from a carbon perspective, from a chemical perspective, which is better and under what conditions are they better. And then we need very basic information um, around around wages and working conditions. And we, we just, we don't have these basic building blocks. And that is what we need to be able to move forward. What brands can do to facilitate that, and I'm speaking 
the largest companies, because what a small company can do, um, they can do something that are meaningful, but it's different from what the largest brands can do and have a responsibility to do. What those large brands can do is begin to do the work of benchmarking their carbon footprint in their own supply chains. And as a start, you know, it's, it's like stepping on the scale, right? We need to know where we're at in order to be able to make reductions. So the fashion industry and the leading players need to go do the carbon footprint of their own supply chains to know what is their starting point and then what they can do to meaningfully reduce that. And you can see that within carbon and within chemicals um, and within labor and wages as well. And so how are you actually going about facilitating this work? I'm curious what your work looks like in practice at the NSI to really help to gain more transparency and gather the necessary data that we need. Yeah, so what we've been working on quietly now for quite some time is developing both an information platform and a curriculum based off of that platform. And the information platform is just is gathering the information that currently exists and not just gathering it, but also putting a grade to how reliable that information is. Because what we have found in the fashion industry, even if you take kind of um, a something that is often said that the fashion industry is the second most polluting industry. That, it it turns out, came from nowhere. It It was said once, and then it was repeated, and it was repeated, and it was repeated, and became a fact when there is actually no primary source information to make that fact credible. So what what we've been doing is collecting the information that is out there and then really grading that information on how reliable that reliable of a source. Is it from a peer-reviewed journal? Is it from government data? Or is it, you know, was said in media at one point with attributed to nothing? Um, and that's really the starting point for us is developing this information platform, which is will be an open source tool. Um, that people can begin to understand what is it that we know in the industry and what is it that we don't know in the industry and need to start filling in. And then we've developed or finishing developing a curriculum based on that information, which is kind of, you know, if you can have a couple of hours to dig into to understand kind of the, the fundamentals of the fashion system. And what your role as whether it's a citizen, as someone in a brand, someone in a small brand or a large brand, someone that's an influencer, your role in helping build a more just fashion industry. So those are, that's what we've been working on and, and where we really see the role of NSI is bringing together that data, highlighting the information that we need to know, and then beginning to develop policies that companies can have to demonstrate what they are doing to meaningfully reduce their negative impact. This is a more specific question. You recently addressed the sustainability of recycled microplastic fibers. So especially for things like swimwear and athletic wear that claim to need the performance properties of synthetics, a lot of these brands are going green by using recycled nylon from discarded fishnets or recycled polyester from discarded plastic bottles. What was your conclusion on whether or not this is greenwashing and what is your thought process behind this in general? 
Yeah. So I think if we look at recycled um, polyester as a case study in greenwashing, so a, a lot of times the claims that we've come across with recycled polyester is that it is reducing plastic from landfill. And that is not the case. Unless the recycled polyester company is actually helping remove plastic from the ocean or remove plastic from the environment, they are not, in fact, reducing plastic going into uh, landfill. The decision, the, the way in which we would reduce plastic going to landfill is if we, citizens, put plastic into recycling. That is what matters. Or if we are, as citizens, reduced how much plastic we are using. But when we looked under the hood and started to investigate this, what we came to understand is that the fashion industry is actually in uh, major competition with the bottling industry for these recycled plastic, for these plastic, used plastic bottles. And so what it's actually ended up doing, this kind of drive and need to have a, quote, green, quote, sustainable product, is that the price of recycled plastic bottles has just gone up, but it has not actually um, meaningfully achieved a reduction of plastic pollution. Mm. Um, and so I think that's the kind of thing that we have to really understand. What is it that the product is purporting to do and what does it actually do? And I would just add, I don't want to suggest that um, recycled polyester is worse than what is called virgin polyester. But if you look at, let's say you had a sundress, right? And it was going to be made from cotton, but the brand said, no, we have to have something that seems sustainable. So we'll make it from recycled polyester. Well, if you look at the data, it is unclear whether traditional cotton, conventional cotton and recycled polyester from a carbon standpoint is actually even a reduction. So in a drive, even a, you know, a, an authentic drive to be sustainable, you can have, you know, less sustainable results. And so I think that is, you know, kind of ties in both the need for better information so we can be able to make those choices more clearly. And there we are lacking, you know, really solid data on this and looking at a brand genuine and meaningful ways to reduce their footprint. Mm. So certainly a lot of nuance and we really just have to do more research and learn more and get more data on this. And something else to think about is because, as you mentioned, there's there's not really a shortage on industries that are willing to or looking to use recycled plastic. When plastic is recycled into another solid product, then that's a quote unquote new product made with recycled materials. But when we turn that, when we chop that up into tiny little pieces into recycled polyester, it is also a recycled product, but then it also has mm -hmm. the new issue of microplastic pollution that a large solid piece of recycled plastic might not have. Plastic clothing, so your polyesters, which is the most common fiber today in our clothing, um, when we wash it, microfibers come off of it. Uh, these are microplastics, which I'm sure your audience has been attuned to the, the, the major issue of microplastics in 
our oceans, on our mountains, everywhere, in our air, we are finding it everywhere. And yes, so clothing is a significant contributor of this microplastic pollution. And yes, when we turn our bottles into clothing, <laughs> it has that the microplastic impact. And I would also add that we are better able to turn a plastic bottle into another plastic bottle than we are able to turn plastic clothing into clothing again. So you, you know, you take from a closed loop system where it can be recycled again repeatedly into one where it has only, you know, one use. Um, and I think that is something else we need to consider if we just really zero in on plastic materials in our clothing. Mm. And finally, before we go into our final five closing questions, we always like to leave our listeners with some concrete actions that they can take. So what is your recommendation on how our listener can make the biggest positive impact for our fashion industry from here? So I think it's, you know, starting with oneself and rebuilding a connection with our clothing, finding out and spending time considering, I think there's so much so much marketing pressure and so many ad dollars spent on getting us to like whatever is in fashion, you know, whatever is being pushed at us. And I think if we can take some time to invest and, and really research our own closets to see what is our style, what are we trying to communicate? What is the individual trying to communicate? I think if we start from that place, then the purchasing will be a lot less, um, without thought, you know, they'll be must or put it more elegantly, they will be put with more thought. Mm. <laughs> and I think that is, that needs to be the starting point is what can we do personally and individually? And then I think beyond that, because we can't, we cannot make these systemic changes by individual actions alone is what can we call on the industry? And that um, goes back to the work of NSI. What can we call on the industry to do to turn, you know, the turn that chip around. So I think it's both grounding things in individual action and being thoughtful about what it is that we really like um, and, you know, only making purchases of clothing that we truly love and then taking that individual action and connecting it to being more vocal and keeping our brands and our institutions accountable for the change that we need to see. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? 
So I've been recently uh, have discovered the work of Resma Menakin. It's R-E-S-M-A-A-M-E-N-A-K-E-M. And he's a therapist and trauma specialist who is combining kind of old wisdom and really cutting edge new science on our bodies and nervous system to understand the conditions and, and what comes to mind when we think of race. And I think his practice is offering kind of the beginning of change at a cellular level. And I think that to me, that's been incredibly helpful to think about issues of, of justice really beginning from home and our own bodies. So um, I would definitely recommend his work and, and his account. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I look to uh, historical moments. So the ones we, you know, the one we had just discussed with union work and organized labor within the garment industry. Um, I am inspired by seeing how change has happened in the past, you know, looking towards Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King and um, how civil disobedience can create progress. So looking at history and then connecting that with kind of visions of Utopia has helped ground me and keep me inspired. What is one thing you're working on right now for your health? Uh, spending time in nature. It sounds very trite, but <laughs> being <laughs> in Minneapolis, coming from New York, being able to be outside and see trees and see water um, has been incredibly grounding in this time for me. What are you working on right now to elevate your regenerative impact for our planet? I am doing a lot of both reading and then reflecting on my own biases on how my own silence has allowed institutions to not be as just as they could be. So I'm, I'm listening to myself and, and listening to the voice of others. And what makes you most hopeful for our world and planet at the moment? Honestly, the energy of the protests, uh, if we look at history, it is through protest and civil disobedience that we have made progress. And there is a lot of energy. And I think that is a very exciting uh, place to start. Well, Green Dreamer, if you want to learn more and stay updated on Maxine's work over at New Standard Institute, you can head to www.newstandardinstitute.org and you can also follow them on Twitter and Instagram at NSI Fashion 2030. Maxine, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise here with us. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? Uh, justice and sustainability is a marathon and not a race, so we should be in it for the long haul and, and get ourselves ready. You were listening to Green Dreamer, and I'm your host, Kamea Shane. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've learned from or have been inspired by this episode, I would love to have your direct support on Patreon at greendreamer.com slash support so that I can keep this independent show going and accessible for everyone. Patreon is where our guests' final five tips, personal mantras, and additional suggested readings will be shared from now on, alongside some bonus content and sometimes author book giveaways as well so if you're able to join starting from two dollars per month again it's greendreamer.com support 
Our song feature of the month is "The Fruitful Darkness" by Trevor Hall, and I also want to thank our audio engineer Scott Donnell and our post-production content manager Elizabeth Joy. We appreciate your support so much, and I will catch you soon in the next episode. Open wide the fruitful darkness.